Events then proceeded quickly. Connecticut, New Hampshire, and Rhode Island sent militia to aid their Massachusetts brethren. Hence, Boston soon became surrounded by well over 12,000 colonial soldiers. Gage received 5,000 additional troops, including three generals destined to play key roles in the coming war, William Howe, Henry Clinton, and John Burgoyne. The Continental Congress adopted the New England militia as the Continental Army and directed Pennsylvania, Maryland, and Virginia to send soldiers to Boston, which they did. And, to link the southern colonies to what had been a New England rebellion, the Congress on June 15, 1775, appointed a Virginia aristocrat with limited military experience as commander-in-chief of all American forces. His name was George Washington. On July 3rd, Washington took command of the newly established Continental Army in a field in Cambridge not far from Harvard College, but already a fierce battle had taken place. On the night of June 16, 1775, the New Englanders fortified Breed's Hill on the Charlestown Peninsula across from Boston proper. The next day, Gage attacked. His strategy was not subtle. He ordered a direct assault up the hill. Gage, Howe, and Clinton wanted to show the rebels the unstoppable might of Britain's regular army. They did so, though the first two attacks were repulsed. The third succeeded in part because the Americans ran short of ammunition. Toward the end of the battle, fighting occurred on Bunker Hill, elevated land to the north. By nightfall, the British controlled the peninsula. But they had paid a steep price. Twenty-seven of their officers had been killed, with sixty-three wounded. Casualties among ordinary soldiers were staggering. Two hundred and twenty-six killed and eight hundred and twenty-eight wounded. The Americans, all their troops were New England militia, had had more than 400 killed or wounded. Despite the outcome, the rebels claimed victory. They had met the best England could throw at them and done well. And in a scenario that would be replayed again and again, they had lived to fight another day. The shots fired at Lexington, Concord, and Breed's Hill were significant. They marked the beginning of an eight-year conflict from which a new nation would emerge, but only after the ground had absorbed much British, German, Canadian, French, and American blood. How had it come to this? How had the Americans arrived at the point of such opposition to British rule that muskets and bayonets had become the vehicles of dissent? After all, the colonists under George III had enjoyed a good life. The thirteen Atlantic coastal colonies were economically prosperous. They were, essentially, self-governing. They enjoyed privileged access to Britain's mercantile system. On the high seas, their ships were safeguarded by the Royal Navy. On land, the King's Army, in defeating the French and their Native American allies, had removed external threats. And in the matter of taxation, the Americans paid considerably less in taxes per capita than their fellow subjects in England. Yet, the colonists revolted, or at least a large number of them did. Why? Essentially, they objected to British interference in their lives. In communities established to secure religious freedom, they resented one form of worship being sanctioned by the state. In a society that traditionally distrusted standing armies, they disliked the presence of soldiers in their homes and towns. In colonies where land was available to any free and enterprising man, they objected to a royal decree, 
the proclamation line, that, in setting the inland boundaries of the colonies, forbade settlers from moving west beyond the Appalachian Mountains into lands reserved for Native Americans. And regarding London's insistence on taxing the colonists, they opposed revenue-raising measures in which they had no say. Boston was not the only battleground in 1775. In late fall, the Americans invaded Canada. In doing so, they hoped to forestall British attacks from the north, spread mischief among the French-speaking inhabitants, and, if possible, annex their northern neighbors as the 14th colony. The invasion itself was two-pronged. One force, led by Generals Philip Schuyler and Richard Montgomery, proceeded via Lake Champlain in Montreal. Another, with Benedict Arnold in command, trekked through the main woods.